Hi, I'm Charles Christoph Carter. And I'm his mom, Ellen Carter. We'd like to welcome you to this week's episode of Serial Dreadfuls, your place to find original content covering everything from dark historical fiction to science fiction, horror, adventure, and the supernatural. As always, if you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks. It really helps. In last week's episode, Anne Newton awoke from a terrible nightmare only to find something or someone moving in the shadows at the edge of her property. Meanwhile, Joe Martin and his search team found the mutilated body of 10-year-old Judith Dalton in the woods. And now, without further ado, the next episode of Yard Work, written by Charles and Ellen Carter, narrated by Ellen Carter. Listener discretion is advised. It was early Thursday morning, but the sun had already crept into the large upstairs bedroom. The telephone rang, and Hunter pulled one arm from beneath the comforter to reach for it. Hello, she said in a slow, wavering voice. Oh, Barry, it's my day off. She glanced at the clock. It's so early, she said. The receiver held to her right ear, her eyes closed fighting the overpowering urge to drift back to sleep. Yeah, I'm awake, she said groggily. The Dalton girl is missing. No, I didn't know. What? What are you talking about, Barry? Her voice still shaky, its timber mixed, uncertain, still half chained to sleep's heavy hand. Yeah, Craig's here. No, he's asleep. No, I'm not going to wake him. He'll be pissed burnt if I wake him up this early. Why don't you just tell me and I'll give him the message, she said, exasperation creeping into her voice. There was a pause, and suddenly Hunter's soft brown eyes flew wide open. She lay there listening, forced awake now by his words, holding her breath. Finally, she said, What are you saying, Barry? Are you sure? Of course I'll tell him. Thanks, Barry. Hunter quietly placed the phone back into its cradle and slowly sat up in bed, opened the drawer of the bedside table, and took out a small brown prescription bottle. It had no label. She struggled for a moment with the child-proof cap and then poured some of the contents of the bottle into her hand. Dark red capsules, white capsules with a red stripe around the center, and small purple pills lay in her palm. She sat there holding the bottle's contents in her hand and staring off into the distance, thinking about last night when Greg came over. His pants, shirt, and coat were covered with blood. His coat sleeves were bloody and torn. She remembered asking what had happened to him. He told her that he had jacked a deer. He jumped it and slit its throat. He struggled with it until it bled out. At first she thought he'd been drinking because of his slurred speech his unsteady gait. 
Then it struck her that there was no smell of alcohol. That's when she realized that he was taking these damn pills again, something he'd promised her he wouldn't do. And she had believed him. How could she have ever believed him? But perhaps she could have forgiven him for that. It was what he did next that she couldn't forgive or forget. He had threatened her. He had pulled that bloody knife from its sheath, raised it, and stepped toward her. His eyes were dead. He had an evil, sinister grin on his face. For one chilling moment, she thought he was really going to kill her, butcher her with that knife of his. She sat there remembering what Barry had just said. I might not have believed it before, but after what he did last night, after he threatened me, it wouldn't be hard for me to believe that he did it, that he murdered the little Dalton girl, she whispered to herself. The thought that he could have actually killed a child frightened her. Now more than ever, she knew she had to get rid of Greg, get him out of her life. She placed the pills back into the bottle and twisted the cap tight. She slipped out of bed and hastily pulled on her clothes, slipping the bottle into her shirt pocket. She went quietly down the stairs, through the kitchen, and into the living room. Greg lay where she had left him last night, asleep on the couch. He'd wrapped his naked body in the crocheted throw her mother had made for her. She took a deep breath and reached out, carefully shaking Greg from his sleep. He turned toward her, reaching out with one arm to bring her close. She grabbed his arm and pushed him away more forcefully than she'd ever done before. No, Greg, wake up. You've got to get out of here. Greg Vivian's eyelids sprang open and then slowly closed to a squint. His eyes moved from side to side. Then they locked on hers. She knew he could see that something was wrong. He'd always told her that he could read her like an open book. She knew that wasn't true, because if he could, why didn't he know that she was still in love with Bill? What are you talking about? Greg asked angrily. If this is about last night, whatever it is, I'll fix it. I don't think you can, Greg. Not this time, Hunter said nervously. Barry Benoit just called. He called to warn you. Warn me about what? Greg asked suspiciously, pushing himself up on the couch, shaking his head as though he were trying to clear it. She slowly moved away. She could tell that Greg was already angry. Look, don't get pissed off at me. I'm just trying to give you the message he gave me. What did he say, damn it? Greg hissed. He said that Tim Harvey called. He was over at Barry's house last night. As he was leaving Barry's house, he saw you coming out of the woods, near where they found the Dalton girl's body. They found her murdered in the woods, Greg, and Tim said that you had blood on your clothes. The Dalton girl murdered? Shit, Greg said, staring straight ahead as though he were trying to remember. When was she murdered? Barry said sometime last night. He didn't give me the particulars. Greg reached down and pulled the crocheted throw around his body again, seeming now to feel the chill of the room. He swung his legs around and placed his feet on the floor, his head down. I didn't do it. I didn't kill her. I jacked a deer. Barry said Harvey told him he was going to tell Bannister that he saw you. He was going to let him know that he has proof that you had something to do with Judith Dalton's murder, Hunter said cautiously. 
Really? And when is Tim Harvey going to tell all this to Bannister? And what proof did that bastard say he has? She knew she was taking a chance by lying, but she was willing to take the risk to get rid of Greg once and for all. Fighting to keep a deceitful smile from her pretty face, she replied, Barry said he didn't know, but you told me last night that you lost your wallet. Maybe Tim found it. Barry just wanted to give you some time to clear out if you wanted to. Barry said he knows it's a pile of shit, but he thinks they'll listen to Harvey if he has some proof. Harvey mentioned something about your character not being worth shit and about you failing that drug test. According to Tim Harvey, anyone who takes drugs is capable of anything, even murder. Barry said Harvey sounded like a self-righteous prick, like he believes you killed that kid. That fucking bastard, Vivian hissed. He's had it in for me ever since that day I told him I'd kick his ass if he ever touched you again. Where are my clothes? What are you going to do, Greg? Hunter asked. I'm sure as hell not going to go down to the sheriff's station and talk to them. Bannister has it in for me, too. He's going to find any way he can to pin this on me. I just know it in my gut. That bastard's been out to get me ever since I came back here and took up with you. Everyone knows that except that dumbass sheriff. But if you tell them about the deer, they'd have no reason to believe you killed her. That would explain the blood Harvey saw in your clothes. Where are my fucking clothes, Hunter? The ones I was wearing last night. Hunter hesitated. She looked away. Where are they, Hunter? You told me to burn them, Greg, Hunter said, lying, her voice shaking. What the hell do you mean I told you to burn them? Vivian yelled, jumping up from the couch, letting the throw fall to the floor around his feet. Hunter shrank back as though he'd hit her. I only did what you told me to do, Hunter said convincingly, her voice shaking. Why would I tell you to burn my clothes? Greg asked, a note of suspicion in his voice. They were covered in blood. You knew I was wasted. Why did you listen to me? You were acting so weird. I'd never seen you act so strange before. Don't you remember pulling your knife on me? Greg, I was afraid you were going to hurt me. I was afraid not to do what you said. I swear, I don't remember saying that. I wouldn't lie to you, Greg. Hunter, you know I would never hurt you. I know, Greg, but you were so messed up. I don't think you knew what you were doing. Greg ran one hand through his hair, his mouth tight, his eyebrows furrowed. Shit. He stormed out of the room and bounded up the stairs. When he reached Hunter's room, he opened a drawer, took out a pair of long johns, and pulled them on. Hunter followed him. As she entered the room, Greg turned and asked, Barry didn't say what kind of proof? No, Harvey didn't tell him. But it's got to be your wallet, Greg. What else could it be? I bet you're right, Hunter. I bet that bastard did find my wallet, Greg Vivian swore. He paused for a moment and thought, mumbling to himself, But how the fuck did he find my wallet in the woods? He looked at Hunter. Greg, maybe he didn't find it in the woods. Think, could you have dropped it anywhere else? I was so wasted I can't remember. Maybe I dropped it on the road when I came out of the woods. He could have seen me drop it and just picked it up. Oh my God, Greg, you're probably right. Greg had pulled on his jeans and was slipping his flannel shirt on over his long john top. 
He tucked the long shirt tail in and zipped his fly. She followed him out of the bedroom. He had started down the steps when he turned to her. Where's my coat? Maybe it's in my coat. Hunter shook her head. You told me to burn that too, Greg, Hunter said, forcing her eyes to tear. Greg slammed his open hand against the wall. What the fuck, you fucking bitch? But you told me. Shit, shit, shit. This is not happening. This is a fucking nightmare. He continued down the stairs, yelling angrily back over his shoulder to Hunter. Is that big box still in the basement? The one I left here last spring? Or did I tell you to burn that too? She didn't answer his question. She hesitantly held out her hand and slowly opened it. Greg, what's this? You promised me that you had stopped. He turned on the steps and looked into her eyes for a few moments and then grabbed the bottle of pills out of her hand. Where the hell did you get these? He growled, his lips turning back to expose his teeth. She backed up one step, catching her breath, her eyes wide. It fell out of your coat pocket. That fucking coat cost me over $400, Hunter. I only did what you told me to, Greg. I'm sorry, she said with tears in her eyes. God damn it, Hunter, Greg swore. Greg, you've got to get out of here. If Tim Harvey calls Bannister, this is the first place he's going to look. Well, what about the box in the basement? Is it still there or not? Tell me, Greg demanded. He grabbed her arm, squeezing it, pulling her towards him. Now Hunter was really afraid. Afraid of Greg, afraid of what he might have done, afraid of what he might do. What had she gotten herself into? It's still down there, she said. Greg, you're hurting me. Let go of my arm. You're going to leave black and blue marks. He glared at her, pushing her aside and releasing her arm at the same time. She grabbed the banister to steady herself. His deep blue eyes were flat and empty. This wasn't the man she knew and had made love with. She'd never seen this side of Greg before. It was true that she'd heard about him getting into fights and hurting people, but he had never hurt her. He had always protected her and been gentle with her. She told herself that those fights he was involved in weren't his fault. He was just defending himself. She believed that he trusted her and knew that she wouldn't do anything to hurt him. But when he grabbed her arm and glared at her, she felt as if she were looking at a stranger, the same stranger she'd faced last night. Stunned by his actions, she rubbed her arm and moved back up the stairs away from him. She watched as he moved lightly down the rest of the stairs and across the hall to the basement door. He flung it open and she could see him descending the basement steps. She moved down the stairs to the open basement door and watched as Greg ripped open the large box he'd asked her about. He pulled out two sleeping bags and rolled one inside the other and secured them. He retrieved his three-dimensional leafy camouflage suit, heavy hunting coat, boots, hat, leather gloves, and the green gloves she'd knitted for him. The other items he needed he took from among the stored camping equipment that they had used in early August. When he turned to stamp back up the basement stairs, still frightened, she moved to one side. He dropped everything on the kitchen floor. She sensed that the intense anger he'd exhibited only minutes before had ebbed a little. He left the kitchen and came back a few minutes later with his rifle, a box of shells, and his large hunting knife, the same knife that he'd said he'd killed the deer with. 
the same knife he'd threatened her with, the same bloody knife that he could have killed Judith Dalton with. I know it looks bad, Hunter, but I didn't do it. I can tell what you're thinking, but you're wrong. I told you the truth last night. It was a deer I killed. I need for you to believe that. I need you to believe me. Damn, you're the only person I can trust in this whole fucking town. Her fear slowly faded. This was the Greg she knew, the Greg she was once attracted to. Tentatively, she moved forward and put her arms around him. She kissed him. I do believe you, Greg, she said convincingly. High or not, I know you could never hurt a kid. He smiled, wrapped his arms around her, and kissed her back. I didn't mean to scare you. I'm just pissed off about what's going on. I'm going to swing back this way in about three or four days. If you think you're being watched, leave the light on in the large bedroom. Why would they watch me? Hunter asked in surprise. Come on, Hunter, don't play dumb. Bannister is still pissed that you told him you didn't want to have anything to do with him and that you were seeing me. Have you forgotten the night Bannister and I got into it? Hell, you're the one who paid the fine for me. Hunter looked into his eyes. She knew he was right, and she felt guilty about it. She also knew that she was probably part of the reason he'd lost his job at the mill. Harvey had tried to come on to her, and Vivian had backed him off. Vivian was looking at her, waiting for a reply. She had to say something. You're right, Greg. I don't know why I didn't see it. They're both out for revenge. Bill's going to do everything he can to pin this on you, and Harvey's going to back him up. Harvey is such a sleaze. I don't know how Kathy Ann puts up with him. When she mentioned Kathy Ann's name, Hunter saw something flicker in Vivian's blue eyes, something that made her suspicious, but almost immediately it was gone. For an instant, the idea that Greg might have been fooling around with Kathy Ann flashed through Hunter's mind. Was there something he was trying to hide from her, or had that fleeting look just been her imagination? She had been so intent on making Bill jealous that it hadn't occurred to her that Vivian could be seeing someone else. The thought that he could have been cheating on her made her angry. It was just as well that she was getting rid of him. Greg, it's November. The weather is getting too cold. You can't stay out in those woods. Even with two sleeping bags, you could still end up freezing to death. I sure as hell can't stay here. You're right. Bannister will look here first. Remember what I told you. If you think you're being watched, leave the light on. Vivian stuffed his backpack with the items he'd taken from the basement. A canteen, waterproof matches, a fire starter, a few metal cooking utensils, a small individual camper stove, some freeze-dried food, a waterproof tarp, two space blankets, a flashlight, and a hatchet. Then he went up the stairs to the second floor and carefully pulled the curtain aside in the large bedroom. He looked out over the field below and the woods beyond. He turned slightly to his right to check the small part of Route 3 that could be seen from that window, but he saw no one. He went across the hall to the smaller bedroom, the one that faced Route 3. Again, Vivian pulled the curtain carefully aside. The highway was empty. 
He went back down the stairs and pulled on his shaggy 3D camel made from hundreds of pieces of laser-cut cloths of different sizes and colors. He kissed Hunter goodbye. Remember what I told you, he said. I won't forget, Greg. He nodded and smiled. Then Greg went out the side door and into the small shed that was attached to Hunter's house. Slowly opening the back door to the shed, walking out through the field of waist-high grass behind the house, and readjusting the heavy pack, Greg moved quickly across the field until he reached the access road that bordered Hunter's property. Reaching the dirt road, he stopped, pulled on a knit hat, and retrieved the green hand-knitted gloves that Hunter had made for him from his camouflage suit pockets. Then he put on his heavier leather gloves over them. He saw something that had fallen to the ground. Bending down, he picked up a smaller green glove. It was Hunter's. In his haste to leave, he must have accidentally picked up one of her gloves along with his. He stuffed the smaller glove back into his pocket and headed in the direction of Al's bluff. He hiked up the rough, rutted dirt access road for three miles and turned off onto an abandoned logging road. And now, a preview of next week's episode. Kind-hearted but mentally challenged, Henry Muntz has been the unofficial ward of Grover's Notch from the time he was a child. What did Henry see that frightened him so much? Does he have information that may help Joe in solving Judith Dalton's murder? Will Joe be successful in getting Henry to open up? If you'd like to get the next free episode early, please consider becoming a Patreon member. It only costs $3 a month to join. That's less than a cup of coffee from you-know-who to enjoy access to compelling original storytelling. That's not the only benefit of being one of our Patreon members. In addition to early access to free episodes, only our Patreon members will have access to each new weekly episode of the second half of each book after the free portion of the book is over. And that's not all. Our Patreon members will also be treated to our periodic commentary as well as having access to the entire back catalog of our episodes as our podcast goes forward. So please, click the link in the show description now if you're interested in becoming a Patreon member. Also, please note that you can follow us on Twitter at sdreadfuls. We will use Twitter to make any announcements concerning the podcast, like letting you know when the free portion of a book is about to end and when a new book will begin. We'd like to thank you for listening to Serial Dreadfuls. As always, if you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.